common, actually. It's a common topic. As I travel around, and I get around a lot in North America, some not so much in a few last few years in Europe, but a lot in India. And uh, wherever I go, especially in North America, I get people that sometimes say, I think we just need to learn to love ourselves. You know, have you ever heard that? Have you ever thought that? So, and that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? By the way, who are the new faces again? Yeah. How did you guys hear about this? How did you hear about this place? Um, from who? Yeah. And how did you hear about this place? Oh, um, I came to Linda and saw the people face and called to come here. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Good. Govinda scores again. What about you? Um, I'm from San Diego. <clears throat> I go to the temple out there. Yeah. Yeah. And then someone to go to the temple. And then uh, we used to have Govindas out there, but like um, we don't have one anymore. Yeah. Uh, so I just hear stories about it. It's <clears throat> cool to come experience it. Well, good. I'm glad that you did. I'm glad that you're all here. How about you guys? Kill them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you, do you live here? Are you from San Diego? Yeah. Here? Yeah. And you, sir? Uh, yeah, I came here a few times to eat. Um, yeah. So I, mean, I saw a sign and just wanted to check it out. So. Oh. Well, Vendors is doing better than you guys are doing at the college. <laughs> <laughs> you're going you're gonna to have to step it up here. Yeah, we will. What do you do when you go out there anyway? Just kind of take a nap or something? I've got to rub it in a little bit. Windows has food. Huh? Windows has food. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> All we got is cookies out there. So. Yeah. No. Well, Windows has a buffet. What would all of you think? Um, if we were to go 100% uh, vegan at Govinda, <laughs> is there anybody here that would think that's a, not a good idea? What's, what's not vegan? Once in a while, there's some things that aren't vegan. Uh, paneer, yogurt. Paneer, yogurt, there's a few things, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. Anyway, that's one thing. Pizza. There's a few things that are not vegan. So, but we're we've kind of kicked that idea around from time to time. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, the power of loving yourself. So, how many? And we can pass out the, the notepads and pens. How many of you have, uh, well, let me show of hands. How many of you have thought about that? Have you ever felt like I need to maybe learn to love myself a little bit? Anybody? Yeah? All right. So um, <clears throat> I want to ask you when you get your paper and your pen, write down. What do you think that will do for you? What's the reward? 
what do you get? You know, or why? Why do you want to love yourself? So it's just a, an interesting question. They'll be reviewed. Um, um, you know, uh, what is, what's the word? Huh? Anonymous. Yeah, anonymous. <laughs> I was going to say unanimously, but <laughs> that's not the right word, is it? Yeah. So, and it was, we won't. Unless you want to, you can say, that's my question. I, so, but it's kind of good sometimes to keep things personal, you know, so that way you can be honest. So, um, so the very question makes an implication. <clears throat> what does that imply? Learning to love yourself. Uh -huh. That's like if someone shows up, uh, two married people, and one of them says, well, you know, I just need to learn to love my wife. What does that tell you? <laughs> Whoa, there's trouble at home. There's some, what do we call it, trouble in paradise. Did you have a question? Oh, I was going to ask say that it also implies that you know what love is and that you know who you are yeah so yeah i would say to this person you know we have to be gender in specific now you know when we talk because people get offended people get it's like people are you know it's like if you take a gun and you load it and then you cock it with a safety off the slightest little thing can make it go bang, right? So a lot of people are, are like that with becoming offended. You never know what's going to offend people. So I have to try to be gender in specific. So let me rephrase this. If a person had a spouse and they said they needed to learn to love their spouse, then you would wonder, what is it about your spouse that you don't love? Does that make any sense? So there's either something, when you say that, you're implying that there's something about my spouse that I don't love, you know, that kind of turns me off, or um, I just don't know enough about her, or... I don't know enough about my spouse to know that if I love my spouse or not. It's tough to be gender unspecific, isn't it? Is that even really necessary? You never know, you know? Most people, it's okay, but you never know when somebody's going to come in and you say, and then he, he or her, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm an old man. I don't, I'm not cool. Huh? Or they. Or they. Or it. You know. So I'm just trying to try and be a little bit more hip than I really am. I'm trying to keep up with uh, the times. So did you write it down? Is everybody? What was the question? What was the question? Yeah. What was the question? I don't Why know. love yourself. Yeah. Why do you? If you do, 
And why don't you if you don't? And maybe uh, if you want to, what is it about yourself that you do or do not love? So uh, the same thing goes here. Like we were, I was talking about my imaginary couple. The two people and one of them says, I just need to learn to love my spouse. So, all right, that implies that you don't know this person that you're wanting to get to love, or there's something about them that you don't love that turns you off. You see, there's obviously something there that's impeding this loving reciprocation. Otherwise, that wouldn't be an issue. So that's true with us. If we ever feel like we need to learn to love ourselves, uh, my question is, why is that? You know? So, excuse me, Molly. So, uh, we can turn to the wisdom of Bhagavad Gita. And Krishna gives us a really nice, long answer. Actually, there's uh, four verses that Krishna gives on this subject. It's very important for Krishna to, to dedicate four verses on this very thing. Um, Bhagavad Gita, sixth chapter, 20th through 23rd verse, 20, 21, 22, and 23. Krishna talks about this very thing. Krishna says, in the stage of perfection called trance or samadhi, one's mind is completely restrained from material mental activities by practice of yoga. This perfection is characterized by one's ability to see the self by the pure mind and to relish and rejoice in the self. In that joyous state, one is situated in boundless transcendental happiness, realized through transcendental senses. Established thus, one never departs from the truth. And upon gaining this, he thinks there is no, or she, kind of like Krishna, politically correct here. He or she thinks there is no greater gain being situated in such a position, one is never shaken, even in the midst of the greatest difficulty. This indeed is actual freedom from all miseries arising from material contact. So Krishna addresses that. So let's break this verse down. Uh, we're talking about the power of loving yourself. So what are those powers? Krishna, he gives you a whole list of them here. First, Krishna says, uh, one's mind is completely restrained from material mental activities. If you can learn to love yourself, then your mind is restrained from uh, material activities, uh, material mental activities. Now, what's the benefit of that? Non-judgment. Huh? 
yeah, non-judgment. Um, you deal, if you're not dealing on the material platform, you're dealing on the spiritual platform. So if, if, if I can keep my mind out of the material uh, illusory energy, then I can operate in the on the transcendental platform. Transcendental platform is where I'm dealing with myself as a part and parcel of the Supreme Godhead. That means I am not this body, neither are you yours. And you also are part and parcel of the Supreme Godhead, you see? So I'm, I've transcended the bodily consciousness. I'm not judging you on the color of your skin or your, um, your race, your religion, your political party, your you name it. You see what I mean? I'm not, as a matter of fact, as you said, I'm, I'm not judgmental because being judgmental is completely material and mundane and illusory because our judgmental is only uh, our judgmentalism is that a word it is not Prabhupada yeah. <laughs> made words up you know he just he had his, he had his own language sometimes we called it Prabhupada's <laughs> like Krishnaized he would one becomes Krishnaized that's not in the dictionary now so I guess yeah, uh, if I'm dealing on the spiritual platform, I'm not going to judge you based on your body. You see, in other words, I'm not going to judge you at all. If, I'm if I see you and me, all of us, all living entities, not just the humans, but all living entities, as parts and parcels of the beautiful Supreme Godhead, then I can only have respect for you. No matter what your material position is. What if I'm a, a Jew and you're a Jew hater? Anybody ever, we've heard of that. There was a Holocaust and, you know, so, but if you're a Jew hater and I'm a Jew, but if I can see you as part and parcel of the Supreme Godhead, even though you can't see yourself, I'm not picking on you, I just haven't seen you in a long time, so I'm using you. Uh, even though you don't see yourself as part and parcel of God, I do. So therefore, you may be on the material platform a little whack up. But yet I see you as this, as this eternal spirit soul, eternal loving associate of Krishna. So I have to offer all respect. Not that I have to. I will, because I see you as who you are. Now you may be dangerous to me. You know? Um, being a Hare Krishna back in the early 70s was, uh, was sometimes kind of dangerous, you know? North America in the early 70s, when you walked around dressed like this, you know, the stuff on your head and singing on the streets, sometimes people thought we were brainwashed or on some kind of heavy drugs or who knows, you know, they thought we were pretty crazy. So from time to time, we would get some 
heavy-duty threats, especially in the southeastern United States. <laughs> you know, I mean, actually, sometimes those threats came through. They weren't just threats. They were turned into action. So even though we see a living entity that can be dangerous to us, does that mean we can't love that entity? We should. We should still have respect. What if you're walking in the desert and you run across one of our friends? There's a lot of them here. A rattlesnake. Right? Have you ever seen one of those guys? So doesn't mean that we hate him. Right? I mean, I'm walking through his living room. And he may get a little upset, you know, hiss, rattle. What are you doing here? You know, I'm going to dial the rattlesnake 911 and have them come and get you because you're trespassing. So I can still have respect for him as part and parcel of Krishna. And I can still feel some affection. And I can tell what a beautiful creature you are. But I will avoid you. You know, I'm going to keep you far enough away. In other words, we're not going to be close. I, I can't embrace you. <laughs> because you're dangerous. Because you're under the spell of the illusionary energy. You are convinced that you're a rattlesnake. And you're because you accept that limitation of that rattlesnake body and rattlesnake brain, uh, your judgment and your mental capacity is limited your consciousness is limited because you believe that you are that body. You see, even though we're, uh, as human beings, our consciousness is much more expanded than a rattlesnake, still it's limited to that of a human being. You see, because we're convinced we are these bodies. So we're accepting the limitations that come with these bodies. But if I accept and believe that I am part and parcel of Krishna. I'm the eternal loving associate of the Supreme Godhead. Now, I have no limitation. I have no limitation whatsoever. I'm an eternal part and parcel, close associate of the Supreme Godhead. Now that, in and of itself, should cause, if not at least help you to love yourself. I mean, you know, before there's love, there should be a little bit of respect. I'm talking about true love, you know, not the, <clears throat> now you see somebody and you think, oh, wow, they're so, such an attractive person. I've never talked to them. I know nothing about them, but they're very attractive. I love you. You know, that's not the kind of love we're talking about. talking about something far more valuable, you know? So along with that should come respect, admiration. These are the things that uh, pull me towards you. If there's something about your personality, you may be attractive, but something about your personality attracts me even further than your outer covering. You see? And therefore, I develop some respect and admiration, and I'm attracted, I'm pulled towards you. So uh, this, is, this is like um, uh, the beginning, the sprouting of love. I feel love for you. 
You see what I mean? But you can't have full, uh, full on love on the bodily platform. Because as long as I identify with my body and I identify with you as your body, then I'm going to want to enjoy your body. I want to get some physical, mundane enjoyment from your body. If you're very attractive, I might want to go someplace with you to have you with me so people can see when I walk in a place that I've got this attractive person with me. That means even though I may not be that attractive, but people will make, see me as more attractive or something special about you because look, he's got that person on his arm. You see what I mean? Wow, the guy's got something, but you see what I mean? So I want to enjoy you somehow. I want to use you. And so uh, as long as enough of our anarthas or enough of our uh, neuroses match up, we can be friends and maybe even lovers, you know. If you like to smoke and I like to smoke, well then, that's great. We both smoke and you don't think I'm a nut because I smoke. And you're always telling me, why don't you quit that? It's so dumb, you know. If I like to drink uh, a fifth of some kind of uh, liquor a day, and so do you, well, then you're not going to tell me, hey, you're going to kill your liver. Let me stop it now. Because you're just as crazy as I am. Same thing goes with heroin. Or if our neuroses match up, then we've got, you know, I kind of respect you for that, you know? So this is mundane. This is all mundane. If I meet you at a political rally and you hate the guy that I hate and you love the guy that I hate, wow. Not only that, but you smoke and do heroin and drink. <laughs> Man, and you're attractive. I think I love you. <laughs> I feel like Cupid has just shot me in the heart. <laughs> now, we may be laughing, but is the world any different from this? No. No, it's not. This is reality. Sad. <laughs> so <clears throat> we have to transcend the bodily consciousness before we can get into that realm called love. You see? Because bodily consciousness is always temporary. You know, someone may say, I'll love you forever. Well, no, you won't, because you're going to die. <laughs> or I'm going to die. You see, our bodies are temporary. So we make, we say things like that. Sometimes people like to overstate, you know, for whatever, you know, we can, I can go off on a whole an hour of how people have that tendency to overstate um, dishonesty, cheating. We have a, a cheating nature. Those, uh, those of us that are embodied, we have a tendency to cheat. We have a tendency to make mistakes. Our senses are imperfect. And uh, what's the, the fourth one? Illusion. Uh, we have, we're subject to illusion. So when you come into this material world, you, this eternal soul, and you take a body, and you believe you are this body, you're under the influence of the material energy. 
which means you'll have a tendency to cheat. You may tell a little fib or, you know, whatever, or exaggerate, you know. Wow, those, those shoes are awesome. Well, are they awesome? <laughs> you know, I mean, you look up the definition of awesome before it became what it is now. No, they're not awesome. Awesome is something that makes that takes your breath away. You're like, <laughs> You're in awe. But we have a tendency to cheat, so I'll tell you anything is awesome. You know? Why? I'm going to exaggerate. I'm going to fluff it up. I'm going to put a spin on it. You see? So we have that tendency. So we have a tendency to cheat. We have a tendency to fall under uh, the illusory energy. We have a tendency to believe that we are these bodies. And we have a tendency to believe so many things that are just not true. And they all relate to the material world, you see. So our, our senses are imperfect. Yet we judge things through our five senses. We don't have any other perception other than what we can see, taste, smell, hear, feel, you see. Some people may say, well, I have this perception. Well, you got to see it first. But I can tell when I look at something, you know, but no, your, your senses, we perceive through our senses and they're imperfect. How can I say our senses are imperfect? If you turn the lights off, you can't see. There's certain light waves you can't see. You can't see infrared. I mean, there's like, I, I used to know the number, but there's like hundreds different light rays that you can't see with these eyes. Some animals can see them, you see. Um, hear, you can't hear that well. You can't hear as well as a dog or a cat. You know, a dog can hear something three blocks away. And they're barking and you're thinking, why is he barking? Well, they're, for a dog, a bloodhound can smell up to uh, 90 times better than a human being. They can smell, they can tell what's what's been walking in the front yard and how long ago it was there, just from sniffing it, you see. So along with smell goes taste. So they also taste. Their taste buds are much stronger. Their smell, their taste is much stronger. They can see better, they can hear better. So an animal's senses are much, uh, most animal, many animals, are, uh, their senses are much more advanced than yours, which means they enjoy more than you do. We enjoy through our senses, right? What about the sense of uh, touch? You ever, you ever pet a cat? Just rub your hand on a cat's back and the cat goes, Oh, or scratch a dog. You scratch a dog. You scratch a dog, you got a friend for life. It's like, you know, you scratch them for a while, and then when you quit, they'll come and they'll, they'll like, you know. You know, so, so they enjoy through their senses. Their mental perception is less, but they can enjoy through their senses on a higher level than you can. You see? So, 
but you have a mental perception that they don't have. That's like after the lion makes his kill, he chases down the zebra. This is gross, but you know, they do this all the time. Lion chases down a zebra and he kills the zebra. And halfway through devouring the zebra, he starts to think, why do I do this? I shouldn't do this. This is horrible. So he tells his lion friends, I'm going to become a vegan. I'm going to do this. <laughs> you know? I just had a, an epiphany. Uh -huh. No, it's not going to happen. No. You, on the other hand, have that mental uh, possibility, even a propensity to analyze and wonder. You see, is there life after death? The animals, they want to know, is there sex life after you? Is there food after this? You know, they're always looking for something to eat, place to sleep, something to mate with, and they always have to defend whatever it is they get. So eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. And we're on that same platform too, but we're a little bit more sophisticated than the animals. But we're driven by that too. So, uh, but if I can see you as part and parcel of Krishna, how can I not see something very beautiful in you? I mean, if you think God is ugly, could there be anything unattractive about God? He's all attractive. He's the source of beauty, the source of love, the very fountainhead of love, you see? So all these things that I say that I want, love, beauty, pleasure, he's the source of pleasure. He's the giver of pleasure, Govinda, the giver of pleasure, you see? Krishna has all these wonderful names, and they all mean different things. So, uh, if you're part and parcel of this most beautiful, most loving, most attractive uh, creature, then you are also incredibly beautiful. Unless you're just the ugly part that he pushed away. I mean, you think, do you think maybe that's we're just the ugly things that he no we're part and parcel of him our DNA is the same as his our spiritual DNA you see it's just that he is the source and he's much more big and we're very tiny you see that doesn't mean when you're standing next to Krishna that he's gigantic and you're real tiny no but as far as potency energy. We're very small. So does this make any any sense? Uh, we can, would you collect those for me? Yeah. So all right, that's one power. Your mind is completely restrained from material mental activities. And Krishna says the next one he mentions is you have the ability to see the self by the pure mind. When your mind is purified, you can see your real self. Not the person or thing, the image that you see when you look in a mirror. 
So when you see the pure self, the real you, you're looking at something that has no flaws. It's only the body, the consciousness of you being your body, that has any flaw whatsoever. Why? Because you have a tendency to cheat. You know, you have a tendency to make mistakes. You have a tendency to come under illusion. You see, so you're not dependable in the bodily consciousness. But when you transcend into the soul consciousness, the consciousness that I am part and parcel of Krishna, then when you see that image of yourself, you don't see any flaws. Looking at your body, we can all look back in our lives, and surely most of us, I would say, have made some mistakes, done some things we wish we hadn't done, you know, found situation, found ourselves in situations where we think, oh, why do I do this? I'm never gonna drink tequila again. <laughs> you know? And again, you <laughs> see. So we do, we do really dumb things because we're convinced we're these bodies. We're, in, we're influenced by the material energy. People that are around us, hey, what do you say we go slam some down? No, nah, I don't wanna, last time I did it. No, nah, come on, don't you, aren't you my friend, come on. Oh, what the heck, okay. So we're influenced by the material energy which comes through people who are in illusion. People that are in the illusory energy. They have a tendency to influence others, you see. On the other hand, people who are in transcendental consciousness have a tendency to influence you into transcendental consciousness. They don't buy the material thing. They see it as Illusion. It's illusion. It's like you're in the desert and someone says, hey, look, over there, there's some water. And you say, no, no, that's a mirage. And I'm not talking about a place you park your car. That's an illusion. Brother Sunday, are you ever going to laugh? I can't make you laugh. Try to Your husband's laughing. Hey. <laughs> it's a tough room. <laughs> so, yeah, you see things that are illusory. So, we need to get out of that. We need to get out of the seeing things as real that are not. Seeing people who pose as our good friends and they're not. Doesn't mean we hate them. But we have to help them. If you're an illusion, I have to help you. I need to help you. I owe it to you to help you. I owe it to Krishna to help you get out of illusion for your benefit, you see. Because if I see myself as part and parcel of Krishna, I'm his dear friend. He is my dear friend. And I know he would like you to get out of illusion, you see. so. So therefore, we associate with people who are in illusion to help them get out of illusion. It's not that we say, close the door, the person comes, that guy's in illusion, we don't want him in here. No. So we are, as Mary said, we're not judgmental. 
you know, judge where you used to, where you a very small percentage of the people that you're going to meet as you go through this, this world, a very tiny percentage are going to be out of illusion. So what's the, you can't judge. It's just that way. You see, they, don't, they think they are their body. You see, I was born in India. I don't like people from Pakistan. Well, why do you say that? Because I'm from India. And he's from Pakistan. <laughs> or I'm from Pakistan, I don't like you because you're from India. Or as you go around the world, there's always somebody who hates somebody. I think people like that. They feel comfortable if they have somebody to hate. You know, There's always got to be somebody. There's always an evil guy. Like right now, everybody has Trump. I want to hate so. And everybody that I that I know, they hate him. So hey, me too. <laughs> Although I'm non-judgmental, <laughs> I don't judge. And I'm really a good, kind, loving person. But don't you hate that? You know, you see what I mean. So I have a tendency to cheat. I want you to think I'm non-judgmental. And a very loving, and then I sh I'm willing at a drop of a hat, in the beat of a heart, to show how much I hate a Pakistani or a, this guy or that guy. It like brings people together sometimes. Huh? It like, like brings people together sometimes to hate the same person. You know. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. So, yeah, the ability to see the self, you. The real you um, through a purified mind. So, all right, I'm going to pause here. I'll get back to this. Don't let me forget, okay? Because I'm eager to see what we wrote here. This is always fun. I still think you're a big fathead, and I wish you had stayed in India. <laughs> That's not, that's not one of the new people. <laughs> <laughs> Things always seem to go better when I go to India, don't they? When I go, um, that's why people say, you back already? <laughs> when I've been unhappy or feeling um, unloved, then I question my value and have felt that I'm not good enough or need to change to be loved. When I felt connected in love, especially spiritual love, I've forgotten this uh, dilemma. Exactly. In other words, you don't need to go around loving yourself. You know, it's like uh, if you have uh, a spouse or someone close to you that you're in love with, and you may tell them I love you very often. You know, you might. Uh, although people who are deeply in love, I've, I've talked to people that have been married. I had one, one couple that I met in London years ago. They've been married 68 years. And uh, I said to the wife, I bet he tells you that he loves you a lot. And she thought for a minute and she said, <coughs> no, not really. And I thought, uh-oh, here we go. 
they're going to get a divorce now. <laughs> I never thought about that. You never tell me. Uh, but according to her, it wasn't. It's just not necessary. He said, "I can tell what the lady looks at. I can see the look in his eye. We've been together sixty-eight years. I can tell by the way he is when he's with me and the things that he does. Well, love is is something that's done." more than it's said. So it gets a little, it can get a little, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Superficial, to over say it. Good morning, love you, bye, have a good day, love you. Well, okay, maybe that's good, but maybe if these two people are closer, you know, it, this love, she told me that this this love, this feeling of her love, of love that her husband has for her uh, for 68 years, it is um, communicated with a glance. She said, he can look at me. And I, I can see in those eyes, the way he's looking at me, that he loves me. So if he were to say, I love you, well, it would be, okay. All right, but it's not necessary. You see, so uh, I'm not. So I'm not saying that you need to every morning when you look in the mirror to brush your teeth, you say, "Good morning, love you." I'm not saying that. No. Learn the learn who and what you are. Uh, that should give you some respect for yourself. It'll, it'll enable you to love yourself. Then get over yourself. You don't go around all day. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, I love me. <laughs> I love me. You, know, you don't have to. It's just that. All right. You do. You, you just do. Now you're past that. You see? In other words, you don't have any doubts anymore. And you're not trying. But to do this, you've got to get to know yourself, not this body. You've got to get to know yourself. In other words, you've got to be able to, um, you should start to pursue uh, wanting to see what is it that Krishna sees when he sees you. You are, uh, you are here to increase and enhance his ecstasy. You are empowered to please the source of pleasure. You are incredibly beautiful to behold to the source of beauty. Okay? So you're all that in a bag of chips in the eyes of the Supreme. <coughs> so get over yourself. Isn't it enough to know that, that you have no uh, shortcomings in the eyes of the Supreme, so long as you are in the uh, um, spiritual consciousness. I'm not my body, and you're not yours. I'm part and parcel of God. I'm a loving servant, so are you. As soon as you, you go down from that consciousness, you'll start to find fault with people and compare you to them, you see. That's material consciousness. What's the source of conflict and hatred? And, you see, on the on the spiritual consciousness, 
Rather, it's just the opposite. Rather than finding fault with people, you admire people, even if they don't like you. You can find something to love and something to appreciate about everybody, even if they hate you. It's not required. If you're really a loving person, uh, it's not required that you be loved. If I'm loved by the Supreme, and I know that I am, and I at least feel okay with myself, then why do I care if you don't love me? You're in Maya. You're an illusion. You think you're your body, and you're making some decision on whether you love me or not, or whether I'm lovable or not, based on me being a Jew or a black man or a Pakistani or an Indian or you see what I mean? A Democrat or Republican? You're making some idiotic decision on this body that you perceive me as. So you don't love me at all, but that doesn't have to stop me from seeing you as an eternal loving soul. You're just covered over by illusion. You see? And I've used this uh, example before. Uh, have you ever seen a family that has maybe three, four children, you know, and one of them is uh, mentally retarded? That retarded child, I know that's not politically correct anymore to do, but I don't know what political, I don't know how to be politically correct, so leave me alone. <laughs> but that mentally challenged child gets more love than the other ones, doesn't he? Not just at home, but the neighbors. You see what I mean? So if you find somebody that's completely in illusion and they hate you, then maybe they need a little bit more love, right? And maybe it's difficult to share that love with them. But you can have it. You don't have to. You know, it's maybe not the best thing in the world if somebody hates you and say they're going to throw a brick and crush your head and say, but I love you. It's probably not. It's probably out of place. It might make them go ahead and so you can offer pronouns. You know, not in a smart aleck way. Hare Krishna. Namaste Narasimha. Another thing, devotee knows I'm protected by Lord Nishimadev. You see, so I don't have any worries. I'm okay with myself. So if, if I'm in a room or a, a whole area of people that really hate me, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm not bothered by it. You see. I still have a feeling for them. Now, people can perceive that you don't hate them. If I'm hating you, and you're totally not hating me, I can understand that after a short time, because I've actually had that happen to me over the last decades. I've had that people like, they're really in my face, and they could see that, wow, I'm not getting any response from you. I was soliciting a response. I'm telling you that you're you're a shaveheaded weirdo, you know, and and you're not responding the way I was soliciting. 
So why are you so at peace? Why are you, you know? Of course, it's a funny thing. I don't know. It, I don't know if any of you, maybe Mary will. I'm picking on you because you're overthinking. <laughs> Way over. <laughs> uh, remember that show back in the 70s, and I think in the 60s, called Kung Fu? Oh. David Carradine? Oh, Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. So he was a monk, and he was very peaceful, and he was traveling through. America in the 1800s, and he was very peaceful and tolerant, but if you pushed him, he would <laughs> So in the beginning of the Hare Krishna movement, uh, a lot of people thought that we were like that. You'd <laughs> <laughs> be at a college someplace, you know, on a campus, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, people would be giving you a hard time, and somebody would say, look out now, Bob, they know martial arts. <laughs> that old boy is going to come unhinged any minute. He's going to whoop us all. <laughs> so it was tempting every so often. You go, <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but mostly we just remain calm and peaceful. <laughs> So, I did have one friend, uh, still have uh, old god brother, who was a kung fu master, <coughs> from Hawaii, and uh, he, he came up from a family, uh, Tree Rock, my god brother, and he came up from a family of kung fu, so he was like the real deal, he was like, some of these guys are so... <coughs> so potent in their art that they're kind of supernatural, you know? And so uh, he really was the real thing. <laughs> he, you know, from a young age, he'd been doing this thing from his parents and <clears throat> his whole family. And so uh, sometimes at, a, at an airport, like the Temple President in Dallas, and sometimes the, the locals, uh, we had ladies distributing books and then to the they would they would bother the ladies. They would give them a hard time, you know, and say horrible things to them. So I would tell Sri Rock, say, hey, what do you say we ride out to BFW Airport? I need you to kind of slow some guys down here. And so uh, he would, uh, and he wasn't a real tall guy, but uh, kind of a dark skinned Hawaiian guy, not real tall, very muscular. You know, but not bulk, but you know. So, uh, but he never had to throw a punch. I would tell him, you know, these guys are harassing the ladies. And he would go over and he'd say, see, you like to pick on girls. You know, why don't you pick on me? I'm just a little guy, why don't you pick on me? And the only thing he ever did was just back up and take a stance without the hands just back up with his hands at his side and look at when they approached. And they could, something about him, they could tell, well, this is danger. <laughs> you know, they could tell. This guy's not big. He's not, you know, it's just hands by his side. It's just went into what they call a T-stance. One foot this way, one foot that way. And they could tell, he's ready to throw it down. 
Estamos lá. Onde eu era? Que estava no Irã, na Lua, por nós? Então, isso foi uma coisa que mudou. Os caras que talvez eram mais bons para eles. Então, mas sim, isso foi muito bom. You got to, you have to, if you can get to the point that you can see yourself, then you won't have these, you'll never, you'll never feel unloved when you realize the love that's reciprocating between you and Krishna. And it's eternal. It always has been and always will be. It cannot be stopped. There's nothing that we can do to goof it up. No matter how heinous we behave or misbehave. Krishna's love doesn't lessen. It shows that you're a little retarded. He needs to give you a little more love. So, <laughs> if you practice bhakti yoga, I'm not talking to you personally. <laughs> Did he call me slow? <laughs> not to your face. <laughs> Loving yourself means giving yourself permission to make mistakes. Learn from them and move on to a higher stage of growth. Exactly. Uh, as you progress in spiritual consciousness, you don't expect mistakes from yourself anymore. So it's a little more difficult to say, hey, what the heck? I made mistakes. Well, wait a minute. That's when you were in material consciousness. When you're in material consciousness, yeah, you make mistakes. When you graduate into spiritual consciousness and realize your relationship with God and all the other living entities, this mistake-making uh, process starts to go away. The mistakes get very, very few. They're, the mistakes that you make will be for, forgivable mistakes. You know? Like, I've, I could have sworn that we had to turn right here. And so I turned right, but I, was, I had to go back the other way. You know, well, we can do that. You know, sometimes you may forget something. But as far as the, uh, a mistake, like, I, I lied to the guy. Or I stole something. Or I misrepresented it, or some, something or a point. Or, <clears throat> or I said something hurtful. To somebody or about somebody. Uh, when you <clears throat> evolve into spiritual consciousness, transcendental consciousness, uh, these kinds of mistakes aren't, aren't, you don't expect that from yourself. So it, it kind of hurts you if you do it so much that you're going to stop. You're not, you're not going to continue. When you're in illusion, you can always rationalize. Yeah, of course I lied to him. Well, he lied to me first. Or if I hadn't, he was about to lie. I bet he lied sometime in the past <laughs> <laughs> to somebody. <laughs> well, he never liked me anyway. See, we can rationalize and kind of let myself off. You know, so when I'm in the, the ignorance of illusion, yeah. But as you graduate into spiritual consciousness, the mistakes will be very few. <clears throat> But if whatever mistakes you make, they'll be forgivable mistakes. You know, like, wow, I could have sworn the ball was that way. 
you know. Does that make any sense? Uh, the power of loving yourself is the art of being your uh, non-judgmental. To trust your oneness with Krishna, which is a trusting self. We are all, um, excuse me, we all go to places at times in our life where we are of uh, off balance. With, it's not your writing, William. Is this, I, I'm not a very good reader. I have a reading disability, so please forgive me. <clears throat> uh, where we're off balance uh, with our truth. Then, then the self-realizations of, le uh, of lesson come to re rebalance our self-love. Yeah, if we're, um, uh, we get it off balance with our truth. And as we, as we get spiritually realized, when we start to realize the self, you, and your relationship with God, then you no longer have your truth. That's part of uh, dealing on the material level. My truth. What's well, my truth? My truth is this is a hundred dollar bill. Right? That's my truth. Now you may pull out a Benjamin and say, no, no, the absolute truth is this is a hundred dollar bill. I can say, no, no, that's your truth. <laughs> this is my truth. This is a hundred dollar bill. And it can remain my truth as long as I want it to, can it? And you, if you argue with me, well, you're just being foolish because I have right to my truth. Until we go to a higher authority. We both go to a bank and you throw that picture of Benjamin down and they give you five twenties. And I throw my truth down and they say, it's just a hunk of paper. So there are our truths, but there are absolute truths. You see, there is the absolute truth. So the devotee learns what is the truth, the truth, which unites me with all of you. My truth is your truth. It separates me. If I can say, if you can say it's, uh, it's too cold in here, that's your truth. My truth is it's too warm, you see? Or, I mean, we see it all in our society. Republic, Democrat, India, Pakistan, and it goes on and on and on. You're a Braves fan and you're a, what are the Braves, baseball? Mm -hmm. All right, uh, you're a Braves fan and I'm a White Sox fan. You see what I mean? I, we, we build these little, that's my truth. Socks are the best. Now the Yankees are. So this is material, mundane consciousness. Transcendental consciousness is we, all us living entities, learn the truth. We don't have to say, oh, I want it to be my truth, you know? It's okay, hang on to your truth until you really need the absolute truth. But there, it, at least recognize there is an absolute truth. So there are higher authorities. 
And if there aren't, then there's no God. You see? But if there is a higher authority, then that higher authority knows what is the absolute truth. As a matter of fact, God is known as the supreme absolute truth. You see? So once I know it and you know it, doesn't that bring us together? As a matter of fact, I start to admire you. Wow, you know, you really know the truth. Not you really know your truth or you really know my truth. No, no. I've given up my truth. You've given up your truth. We both know the truth. And I admire how well you understand the truth. That you are a part and parcel of Krishna, his loving, eternal servant. You know? Changes everything. Brings us all together. Uh, I love myself because I am part and parcel of God. And I love God. What can I add to that? Yeah. Part and parcel. This is fun. Do they do this in San Diego? Um, some, some sort of like this. Yeah. Yeah. But not, not, I've never done this actually. It's cool. It's fun. Yeah. I love myself because of my personality. Actually, that's cool. Personalities. Wait a minute. That's true, though. We do have different levels of that. Yeah. Uh, I love myself because of my personality. Of what is my true personality? My eternal personality. If I can find out my eternal personality, I get a really good idea of what your eternal personality is like. You see? And an idea of what the eternal supreme personality of Godhead is. It's that of exchanging love. If that's his personality, a loving exchange, that's his personality. If I'm part and parcel of him, then that's also my personality. This is called self-realization. I need to learn about myself. And I don't mean I like long walks on the beach, and I like, no, no. I'm not talking about myself, my eternal self. I like to exchange loving relations. And that, that's true for all living entities. And it's the, it's, it's the, it's the thing that you love and enjoy most. That's true of everybody. Uh, I love myself because uh, I feel I am a, I can't read that, a good person? Yeah, okay. And to that I would say, um, define a good person. You know, what does it mean to be a good person? I'm just curious. I would, I would have that. Better than the next guy. Yeah, better than you. Better than you. I'm a good person. I didn't vote for Trump. That makes me good. Right? The guy at the next table said, Well, I voted for Trump, and that makes me good. Makes me great. We're making America great. Because 
You see what I mean? Yes. I talk about that because that's that's the state of this wonderful place we call America right now, which is really embarrassing. If you travel to other countries, I mean, America, it's, it's really embarrassing to see America through the eyes of other people. It's really sad what's going on here. This is the place that everybody wants to come. Everybody's fighting to get in, figure ways to get in. And the people here kind of hate it. They just, they're all, they're whining. <laughs> what is that? Grateful. What is the great gratitude in America? We ought to have more of it than any place in the world. You see? We're even trying to remove, not um, through litigation, but we're trying to take away uh, the First Amendment. Because I did, I, now people are getting offended at your opinion. I can remember back in the 70s and 60s and 80s, people, you ever heard, maybe, maybe you've heard somebody say, arguing with somebody, they'll say, look, I disagree with your opinion. But I'm willing to die for the for you to write to have the right to say it. Well, that's not like that anymore. It's not like that in America. People say, "Oh, no, it is. No, it's not." If you, if enough people don't like your opinion, the opinion police will try to get you somehow. You know, or your intentions. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. I had a lot of realizations this last trip to India talking to very well-to-do people who were uh, looking at us. Russians and Indians and other nationalities. What's with America right now, you know? It's like, uh, it's like Looney Tunes. <laughs> it's crazy. It really is. Uh, loving yourself means being true to yourself and who you are. It allows you to love others and accept love from others. Boy, that is right on. It allows you to love others and allows you to accept love. Because you've transcended the bodily platform. In the bodily platform, people often lie to you when it comes to love. You know, that's true. We've all had that, you know. So, uh, if I'm on the bodily platform, I might have to be uh, concerned about that. But if I'm not, if I know that I'm part and parcel of Krishna, I'm an eternal soul, and I'm a part and parcel of Krishna, and I always will be. I'm loved and protected by Krishna. I always have been, always will be. And then you're going to lie to me about some love thing that has to do with material I'm sorry, but I'm not the slightest bit hurt if you lie. I probably didn't believe you in when you're talking love on the material platform. You know, someone on the spiritual platform can see through uh, the illusory energy, and you can tell when someone's in it. So you don't get upset at them if they lie to you about loving you or something. It's like if you go to, uh, here we go with politically correct. Uh, we used to call them insane asylums. What do we call them now? Oh, I can't 
Mental reader. Okay, so mental. Let's say you go to one of those places and you find a an inmate of a mental rehabilitation, and he's tremendously mentally challenged. Why well, feel so politically correct? <laughs> and this person comes up to you and says, "I think you're ugly. I think you're a Martian." And you've come here to invade Earth. Are you going to get mad at it? You know, are you going to say, "Well, you're not going to say that to me. I'm going to punch you." You're going to say, "Sorry, you know, sorry that I offended you, or whatever." You know. So my point is, that if you're if you're in transcendental consciousness, and someone in material consciousness lies to you about love, well, it's kind of like, what did you expect? You know, you don't get water in the desert. You don't get truth where there isn't. If you if you think you are your body and that this world is the all in all, then you're an illusion. And I don't expect the truth. <laughs> I don't expect you to treat me fairly. You know, I'm not expecting you. So when it when it comes off that I'm not treated fairly, then. You know, I wasn't really expecting it. And if I am, then it's like a bonus. Wow, you're such an honest person. You see what I mean? So, I want to love myself so that I can love others. I do not like how I am. Uh, I do not like how I am good in relationships. I don't know what that means. You want to be good in relationships, then uh, polish up your relationship with Krishna. If you just get a little taste of having a loving relationship with Krishna, you become expert at having a relationship. Because you're going to deal with someone with truth, always loving, no cheating, saying honesty. You're looking out for them. Why am I not looking out for myself? I'm okay. I've already got over myself. I realize that Krishna loves me. I love Krishna. I love you, and I love me. All right, let's put that aside. You know, it's no sense to, to dwell. On. So, does that make any sense? Man, these are good, good answers. I love myself to liberate myself. Loving yourself unconditionally allows and teaches you how to love others in the world unconditionally. I sometimes don't love my ego, not unconditional. Yeah, unconditional. Now, if love is not unconditional, then it's not real. You know? I love you so long as you love me back. That's, there's a condition here. You see, that's tainted. I'll love you if you love me, at least almost as much, or I want you to love me a little bit more than I love you. You know, I'd like to have the upper hand. That's the pure love is I love you. 
Well, I don't love you. Well, there was no condition. You don't have to love me. If someone says, well, I love you too, well, then, all right, then we love each other. That's very wonderful. But if someone says, well, I don't love you, well, you shouldn't be hurt. I'm overloved. The devotee realizes that I've never been underloved. We're overloved by the supreme source of love. You know? It's like um, Krishna can love you so so hard that it, it, it it's like it bruises you. It's intense. It's to totally intense. This love that Krishna has. And you have it too. You have it. You're able to, to love on an intense level without expecting anything in return. It's not fairy tale. Unconditional love. Not easy to get there. You have to kind of give up um, your false ego. You know? Speaks volumes. So, really? yeah. Sure. Yeah. so my body, hey, got my body question. <laughs> uh, loving yourself is better than hating yourself, but you have to know who you are in order to love yourself. Yeah, that's a good statement. Most people find fault with themselves. You see. If you know, uh, I have many people that I know that are psychiatrists and psychologists and all these people, and they're, they're interesting to talk with. Some of them are, I know some people in Dallas that get like $500 an hour. You know, they're, they're real brilliant. I think they're a little nutty though, in their own personal lives because they ask me for, you know, for, for help in their relationships. And I think he, people come and pay $500 an hour, but he, you can listen to their uh, observance uh, of people and problems that people have. And it's it's really amazing. You know? um, people have a lot of problems with themselves. Maybe there was problems between mommy and daddy and I blame myself. You see? Because I think I am this body and I'm part of this world, then I see all this trouble. And also I've cheated and I've lied and I've done this and I've done that. I say I made a mistake, but I did it intentionally. I won't do it again, but I will. But you see, so we have some problems with ourselves, with this image of our, this self-image that we have. If you can throw that, that's called false ego. You toss that aside, then you can see you. If you go look in the mirror and you don't see the body, you can see you, the soul. Ah, no faults. The living entity, the soul, when you come in contact with the material energy, you don't become contaminated. You, your consciousness can become contaminated, but you don't. You remain 100% pure. You cannot become contaminated. But you can think you are. You can start thinking, I am this body. I am an American, so I'll behave like an American. 
come on, or I'm a this and I'll behave like that. See, your consciousness becomes contaminated. So if you can throw away that false ego, that false identification of I am, and if, and if you follow that statement by anything other than I am part and parcel of the Supreme Godhead, then you're complete, you're in complete illusion. Because that's all you are. You are an eternal loving associate of God. Eternal, loving, close, tight, personal associate. You see? Which is better than thinking I'm an American or I'm a Canadian or I'm a whatever, Democrat or Republican. You have to let go of that false ego because that's what's contaminating your consciousness. And you're never going to get along in this material world, except you find pockets of people who may believe for now, today, in the same way that you believe. But these things change. They change as you get older. I know, I've been around 71 years. I know, these things change. I've seen it happen in people that I grew up with. They're completely different than they were. And they, I'm learning to love myself more and more as I see uh, Param Atma. Param Atma. There's the Atma, you, or Atma. The Jiva Atma, the soul. And then there is the Param Atma. Param means supreme. There's a supreme soul. As you get to, to find out a little bit about yourself, you're also learning about the supreme soul. You see? It goes hand in hand. If you're not realizing the supreme as you're realizing yourself, then you're on the wrong track. You're just going off into another illusory trip. If you, can, if you don't see yourself as joined at the hip, so to speak, with the Supreme, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, then you've gone the wrong, you made the wrong turn. False ego is leading you towards something else. Because if you can see yourself truly, right there with you is Krishna. He wouldn't leave you for a moment. You've never been abandoned. We tried to abandon him. But he's so attached to us, he's not going to let you go anywhere. You know, he, he's attached to you. Okay. He may let you think that you're off doing your own thing, but he's out of love, he's with you. <laughs> As the Paramatma, right next to you. It's like uh, two birds in a tree. You're, you're one bird, and right beside you is another bird. You're eating the fruit of the tree, and the Paramatma, Krishna, is just observing. Why? Because he finds you incredibly interesting, fascinating. And these decisions that you make as you come to this material world are fascinating to Krishna. You are fascinating, your uh, personality. Not the one that you think you have right now, but your eternal personality is fascinating. Your, your personality 
uh, helps enhance his ecstasy. So, in other words, really, there's really nothing about you, the true you, to not love. To know you is to love you. Um, even if I were, uh, even if I were lovely, and had many lovely qualities, I would not love myself. It's un, un, unnecessary to love myself because love is something to give. Although that's kind, of, I kind of agree with that in that. You don't have to spend any time loving yourself. You know? I mean, it's it's you and you. So, you just establish, I'm okay. I know I'm okay. Krishna loves me, so I'm lovable. You see? If I can't, I don't need to, and I don't even think we can. How do we reciprocate love with ourselves? We reciprocate love with others. See, I have to get over myself thinking that I might be unlovable. If I've cleaned up my material consciousness, then I don't have any more of these things that have tainted me that are unlovable. You know? So I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry. About, I don't have to be concerned about me and how I feel about me. That's getting over yourself. You don't have to. So you love yourself without having a reciprocal relationship with yourself. There may be things that, that you, judgments that you may make that you say to yourself later on, that was the right thing to do. That was the right, you did the right thing. And if you ever do the wrong thing, you need to tell yourself. That was the wrong thing. You shouldn't do that. You know, you can say that to yourself. Really disappointed in you. I'm not going to tolerate this. <laughs> See what I mean? You know, you can do that with yourself. Uh, you can actually be a stronger disciplinarian with yourself than you can anybody else. You know, you can be tough on yourself and expect, because you should know what to expect from yourself. Does that make any sense? You should know. If you know yourself, you should know what to expect and what to demand of yourself. You can't do that so much with other people, but you can do it with yourself. You can say to yourself, I know that I'm better than that. And I, uh, I choose not to behave that way any longer. You know? Which makes me love me even more. I write a love song to myself. Dear me. Now, we, it's something we don't need to spend any time you know, thinking about how much I love myself. You just get there and then go on. But... To love yourself, you've got to get over this false ego of thinking who you think you are, you know, over this body. You know, if you can get past that, it opens up worlds, worlds. It opens up universes for you. 
Why should we love ourselves? Because we are uh, sparks of the divine. We are of the same quality since we are minute portions of that whole. That's true. <clears throat> we are portions of Krishna. When, when you think like that, it's okay to demand a little bit more performance from yourself. You know? Why should we love ourselves? What makes us lovable? Who is the person we are loving? How, are you, uh, how do you define this person you are loving? How do you define love? Uh, these are good questions. Who is this person that you're trying to love? If I'm trying to love this person that I think I am, the person that I see in the mirror, uh, then I'm just going to be like a dog chasing my tail. Because how do I define, if I'm in material consciousness, how do I define what is lovable? Well, in one circle of, of people, that would be defined by them. If I go to another circle of people, it's defined by them. If I hang out with one nationality, it's defined by them. <coughs> one political circle, another political circle, <coughs> they have their different de definitions. If I get caught up in that, you know, I'm trying to love myself because I'm acting like a group of people. I see people that are, especially in politics, they react on a certain issue. You can ask a question. And they answer the question based on what the group would say. You ever notice that? And it's so hard to drill down and get them to know, I want to know what you think. Rather than, I know what the group would say. I'm trying to cut you out of the herd and get you to think for yourself. That's really difficult. Sometimes people get angry when you do that. But it's, it's common. Why do we do that? Why do we want to be part of a herd? Because the nature of the soul is to be communal. We are communal. And it's our, our, uh, our nature. In the spiritual world, it's a community, and it's all shared. We all love Krishna. We love God, and we all love each other, you see, which brings us incredibly tight, close together. So that's the nature of the soul. So that's why people are always trying to be a part of this or that, you know. I want to grow my hair, grow a beard buy a motorcycle and ride with the, the Hell's Angels. I want to be one of them. Or I want to be uh, whatever. You, know, you can see all these different things. But then, once they join the group, now I identify with a group. And I'm tight. I'm part of it. You know, I go to political rallies with my friends and we believe. But then, once I am well-established as part of that group, then I want some individuality. Yeah, I got a, I got a Harley, but mine's 
fancier and different than yours. So I'm part of the group, but I'm unique. So this is the spiritual nature of the soul. I'm part of this, this eternal group of lovers of God, but I have uniquity. I'm not exactly the same as you. This is Krishna's variety. All innumerable living entities, there's no two that are the same, like snowflakes. There's no two that are the same. You see? So this is the nature of the soul. I'm not being critical of people because they want to be part of a group and identify with a group and yet be unique. But if you can realize yourself as a soul, an eternal soul, you already have that. It is part of being you, to be part of this tight group and yet maintain uniquity. Safe travels back to San Diego. Actually, I live, I'm living here now for a while, so we'll do that. Hey, great. Oh, wow. yeah. Fantastic. Yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys go ahead and eat. Don't, please don't wait for me. Yeah. Oh, you made Corella? Wow. This vegetable here, it's, it's known as uh, bitter melon. Carella, it's uh, it's one of the best things in the world for diabetes. It's miracle. You know, you can make a what do they call it? A smoothie out of out of Carella. and it's kind of bitter, so you have to put a little salt in it and different stuff. We usually throw in avocado and some tomatoes too. If you take that, it will, and then check your blood sugar. Two hours later, it makes blood sugar plunge. So, I mean, it really, really works. I'm a diabetic, and I've used it. Is it a seed or grain? No, it's a squash. Oh. Where yeah. do you get it from? Any Indian, any Asian or Indian grocery. Corella. Corella. Yeah. There's an uh, also. Uh, uh, there's a long gourd squash that in the Asian markets is called opo, opo. It's a squash. The Indians call it nudi. Uh, they also call it uh, loki. Different parts of India, but it also has a similar effect. It'll it'll make blood sugar. I mean, it really does. This is absolutely proof. I've done it by sticking my finger and trying it for years. All right, what else do we get? We get to rejoice in the self. I learned to love myself, I get to rejoice in myself. Uh, I get this joyous state that Krishna's talking about. I get to exist in a joyous state just because I learned that I'm lovable. By learning who I am. I'm an eternal part and parcel. Why am I really, I rub elbows with the Supreme Personality of Godhead. We're that close. That ought to make you feel pretty good about yourself. You know, really. So you get that joyous state. Uh, you also, according to Krishna, you, you end up situated in boundless transcendental happiness. Boundless transcendental 
happiness. It's happiness, happiness that's not achieved through sensual experience. It's the experience of the soul exchanging love. Uh, I get to realize my transcendental senses. I have transcendental senses. I have material senses. I taste and see and experience through my material senses. But I also have transcendental senses. I'm an eternal soul. It doesn't mean that I can't taste or experience anything unless I'm embodied. I don't need a body to have uh, senses. I have transcendental senses. You see, as a liberated soul, if I take Krishna's hand, I can feel the softnesses of, of his hand. He's not just energy, and my energy is like somewhere around his energy, like purple smoke mixing with blue smoke. You know, it's not like that. I'm an eternal entity. I enjoy eternally through transcendental senses. I can smell Krishna. Can you imagine the aroma if you get a whiff of Krishna? You know. So, uh, one never departs from the truth. I realize me, truthfully, who I am. So, I get a taste of the truth and I don't want anything else. I don't, I, I live in the truth, not my truth. That's just word jugglery. The truth, the absolute truth of who, what I am. You know, if I can understand that, then I don't want to depart from that. It's not, it's very, it would be a very bitter flavor <laughs> to try to depart from the absolute truth. <clears throat> uh, one thinks there is no greater gain. Wow, I've got something. <laughs> There's nothing greater. Can't get any better than this. That's pretty good, you see. Krishna says you get that from just learning to love yourself. One is never shaken, even in the midst of greatest difficulty. You're never shaken. Even if somebody's threatening you or whatever, you know, you're not shaken. You remain uh, equipoised, equipositioned. It means you don't have peaks and valleys in your life. Equipoised, peaceful, shanti, constant shanti, peaceful. No ups and downs, no roller coaster. You see, so you're never shaken, even in the midst of greatest difficulty. Why? Again, I defer back to who and what I am. I'm a close, personal, loving associate of the Supreme Godhead. I am protected. As long as I can stay with him, and how do you get away from him? He's not going to let you go anywhere. He's too fond of you. I can only go depart him in my consciousness, but as long as I stay consciousness of my loving relationship with Krishna, then what 
kind of difficulty could I possibly have? He'll take care of it. You know, I'm not powerless because I'm associating with the powerful, the source of power, potency. And if he should decide that maybe I should get some uh, punishment or something like that, then I'm sure he makes pretty good decisions. And anyway, I'm an eternal soul. I can't be destroyed. I can't be burned. Bhagavad Gita says I can't be pierced by a, a sword, withered by the wind, burned by fire. Me, the soul, I cannot be harmed. I have no beginning. I have no end. And as long as I can stay in this, the consciousness of who and what I am, I can't suffer. I can only suffer when I believe that I am this body. So if I can achieve this self-realization, then all this stuff goes away. Fear, fear leaves you. Fear is one of the first things that you lose after some time. Uh, and I get actual freedom from all miseries arising from material contact. If I can stay self-realized, and so, sometimes from, from time to time we meet people and they say, well, I'm self-realized too. You know, I was chanting alone for two hours a day for five years or something like that. And so, but I mean, you can say, well, I wonder, uh, do you ever have any miseries resulting from material contact? And if, that, if true, then you're not self-realized. Do you ever feel un unloved, insecure? Lonely? If you're self-realized, it's impossible to feel lonely. Even if you've been alone for a long, long time on a trip or something, you know, it's impossible. Because you always have your lover Krishna with you. Yeah. What about physical sensations? Can a truly self-realized person feel physical pain from, you know, illness, breaking the bone? Yeah. But it's minimalized. It's not the same. I can remember having things happen to me, and, I, and I'm thinking, I'm feeling pain, but you know what? Really, it should be hurting a lot more. I can remember being sick, and people say, Are you feeling any better? I say, Well, yeah, I am, but I look back and I'm thinking, I wonder why it wasn't worse. Because I was really sick. Why wasn't it worse? You know, sometimes when we're real sick or there's some physical pain, then uh, you have a tendency to slip back on that bodily platform for a moment, you know. But then you realize, you know, this doesn't really apply to me. So, yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll know that there's pain there. That's like if someone uh, that you know does something to let you down. There could be some minor pain in the heart, you know, but it, it's not going to knock you down, you see. Does that make any sense? Yeah, because when you were saying the other things, I'm like, well, that's great, but any personal, oh, I don't feel any, 
I don't feel any bad feelings either. I'm self-realized. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. You know, we all run into those. We all are those sometimes. Well, yeah, we all are too. Sometimes Krishna tests us. He puts us in a, in a tight situation. You know, he'll have some, something happen. Just a test. It's a pop quiz. <laughs> so, you know, you're, you're so realized you're doing so good. What if? And then something happens. Now, how are you going to deal with that? Well, if it was bad, my dear Krishna, I probably deserved a lot more, a lot worse. Because I have past karma. You know? I mean, I understand that Guru and Krishna have taken my karma away. But I don't feel like I deserved it. Just out of their kind, loving mercy, they took my karma. So, but if if some some of it is still there, and all of a sudden I get something that surprisingly is there, then I deserve it more than likely. If I'm going to be honest with me and you, I deserve a lot worse. There's a lot of things that I did that I thought I got away with when you were young, and you know. A lot of things we do. I don't know, but maybe you guys are a lot. Maybe you were a lot better people than than I was. But I remember being a a naughty boy. <laughs> I was young. You know, a lot of things that I did, I thought I got away with, but I didn't understand karma. You don't get away with karma. What goes around comes around. So, so if something happens, I just realize, you know, it, it really. Really and truly, it should have been a lot worse. It's like a devotee thinks if something wonderful is happening to him, it's better than it really should be. And if something not so good is happening, it's not as bad as it should be. So that becomes your reaction, you know. Not that, oh, I deserve better. Why? <laughs> Here we are, not being honest with ourselves. I deserve better. I don't deserve to be treated like that. I don't deserve to have anybody lie to me. I don't deserve to be cheated. Who am I to say what I deserve? Am I the controller of the law of karma now? That's that's my false ego acting. That's my false ego having a, a, a tantrum. I don't deserve to be treated that way. How do you know? You can remember everything you did and said, not only this lifetime, but other lifetimes too? So this is an emotional thing. How dare you say that to me? Sometimes don't you just... Yeah. That then you also have to go to your karma and 
Well, you can do that just by trying to enlighten them. Yeah. You know, you don't have to do anything nasty to them. Oh, no, no, nothing nasty. But just you can set boundaries so that they have to awaken to those boundaries within themselves to release them so they're no yeah. longer needed. Or you can just say, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going right. to go there with you. I understand. I've said this to people. I fully understand that you believe that way and you fully believe that. You don't need to say anymore. I fully understand that you fully believe what it is you just said. Okay, now, if it's somebody that's that's humble, sincere, and their false ego is low, you can say, however, you can take it a little further and kind of pull them a little out of Maya. If their sincerity is low and their false ego is a little, you know, persnickety, then you got to stand your ground. I understand that you feel that way. So I'm not saying that I, I think that you're an absolute nutcase. I'm not saying that, you see, but I understand that you feel that way. And I appreciate that you do. And then sometimes people will think about that and they'll come and they'll they'll want to talk about it a little bit more, which means they've overcome their false ego a little bit. Well, yeah, well, you know, they want to get into it. So the reason why is because you're putting you first. You're putting your how am I putting myself first? Because you're trying to tell me what your truth is. You're trying to make it your truth mine. Yeah, and you're trying me, you want me to, to swallow your truth. But when there is no my truth, you're, there is the truth. Yeah, I that. So I can understand that you believe in your truth. Well, I don't know. What do you really mean? I mean that you don't have a truth, you have an illusion. I have an illusion, that's my truth. You have a, your truth, which is illusion. But if we get through our illusion and we embrace the truth, now what does that do to our relationship? You see what I mean? The, yeah, we're just like, you know. Although I'm not saying that I'm merging my personality with you, I'm still unique and you're still unique. But we both know the truth. See, we have that. We've come. We've together. We've arrived at this destination, this spiritual destination of consciousness. That's really wonderful. For almost fifty years, I've, I've I've had this experience with people, to where we go from one consciousness to a higher consciousness. You, you get after d decades, you get to the point where you can you, you can see the moment that the lights go on in their consciousness. You can see it. You know, you're talking to someone who's got their truth and their illusion, and you can see. I don't know how to describe it, but there's a look in their eye or something about them when they. It's like that. Ah. All of a sudden, the dots connect. Aha. 
Okay, so now you just came out of the fog and it's the most delightful feeling that you'll ever experience. There's nothing more wonderful than to see someone uh, wake up spiritually. There's nothing, there is not a greater experience. I mean, I, I can't emphasize that more. It's the greatest taste. And Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, if you help people come out of the fog like that, then you are very dear to me. And then after verse after verse, he says, you know, where, where is that? 11th chapter? Ninth chapter. Yeah, yeah. Those who distribute this knowledge. No one is more, no one is more dear than he. Nor will there ever be one. So Krishna keeps expanding on that if you... So that's why it's so uh, ecstatic to us because it's pleasing him. You know, it's, it's so pleasing to Krishna that we feel some taste of ecstasy from it. It's not like uh, we're triumphing over someone and convincing them of our political belief. We're turning someone from a Democrat into a Republican. You know, it's nothing like that. It's not that I have a belief, you have a belief, and I debated with you and won. It's nothing like that. It's just that we, we now share the consciousness of the absolute truth. And as, until we get to dealing in the absolute truth, neither one of us is correct. My truth and your truth, they're both not truth. You see? But sometimes it's difficult to, to say that to somebody. They have to Although sometimes people go from zero to 100 miles an hour just like that. There are people who walk in the door, they have no advancement in consciousness whatsoever. But from hearing just a little bit, you see that look, you know. I think, wow, you, you got it really fast. And you think, God, you must have been some super yogi in your past lifetime, you know. Which makes you have deep respect, you know. <laughs> it was just, just below the surface in your consciousness, a little bit of the truth, and bam. Did you have a question? Oh no, I was just going to say. Um, I was going to think about how you were saying uh, about the whole conversion thing. What's interesting about you know this knowledge that you speak of is that it's not about some sectarian conversion. Like we're not interested in trying to convert someone from. From a Jew to a, a Jew Catholic, to a Catholic or, you know. It's the, the conversion that's taking place is, is as you keep emphasizing from material to spiritual. That's the only conversion. That if, if you're a Jew or you're a Catholic or you're a Muslim, you can stay that way. Right. I just want you to understand your relationship with God. It doesn't matter what you say, that you're a, a Hindu, a Muslim. Or, none of that matters. Right. They actually... Uh, if you get, if you uh, drill down into the, the different religions, the, the object is all the same. To find God and to strike up a, a loving relationship with Him. You see, 
So we all have that in common, but to the degree that you're in the bodily consciousness, you can't see that. You know? I mean, we've, we've all seen it. You know, people that are Christians or Jews or whatever, they become uh, Krishna conscious. They become devotees of Krishna. But they're still Christians. It doesn't mean they have to, they let it go. I mean, we know someone, don't we? He still gives mass every Sunday, but he's been a devotee. For, he's an initiated Brahmin, you know? <laughs> There's many of them like that. A better Jew or a better Christian or better Muslim than a devotee of Krishna. There, is, there isn't any difference when you get above the bodily platform. There's no difference. Did you sign us off? Huh? Okay, you can sign us off. Goodbye out there. Hare Krishna. Need a 